Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Boom. There it is. Oh boy. This is going to be a good one. I'm excited. My guest today, there's so much to tell. And I, I really, I'm, I can't wait to learn from him because the topic we're going to talk about, the, the subject matter, man, we're going to smash some myths today. Who is this guy? Who, he's an entrepreneur. He's a marketer, a thought leader, an author, a multi-book author. Um, he is an authority building Jedi master of PR. He, he takes someone and he helps them who really know their topic. He helps them become the recognized number one authority in that area. He just builds Jedis, right? He's just this amazing guy. It, in the PR side, he has helped over 20,000 clients over the years. And just last year or just a, a year ago, in, in a single year, over 10,000 client media stories. So, uh, man, he is, he is stirring the pot across multiple industries. His books, Beginner's Guide to Writing Powerful Press Releases, and I love this next title, PR Strategy Manifesto, CEO of e-releases, Mickey Kennedy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. You know, I, I almost lost myself in your introduction because they just... You're doing a lot, huh? You're a busy guy. Yeah. Man. Uh, well, look, let's talk about the idea of authority. Let's talk about the idea of press releases, PR. I think it, it doesn't get the attention that maybe it deserves in the marketing circles. Uh, so let me stop talking and I hand you this. It's heavy, but clearly you work out. So here we go. Ugh. Okay. This is Thor's hammer. You want to grab that? Sure. Go ahead. You got it? Yep. Okay, good. Okay. Wow, just one-handed. People just listening. He just he just one-handed Thor's hammer. Okay. Picky, take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. The biggest myth is press releases are old-fashioned marketing that that just don't work any longer. And they're old-fashioned. Right. And there's a bit of truth of that because I think in the early 2000s, uh, a lot of the press release companies started to embrace syndication where your press release just gets replicated on a bunch of websites. And that became the sole goal rather than having journalists actually write articles about you. And it was a huge distraction. I spent a lot of education as to saying, this isn't the goal. This isn't what you should be focusing on. You really should be focusing on the messaging so that the media will turn it into articles. And uh, it, it, you know, that syndication has died down. Google has uh, you know, announced that it doesn't help you any longer because there had previously been some SEO benefit if you listen to some people and not if you listen to others. And I've always said it's a distraction. And so I, I think that now we're getting back to the basics of PR and the real leverage opportunity that presents where uh, one press release could potentially result in, you know, lots of articles, lots of opportunities, lots of customers, and, and just a, a, a real uh, reputation uh, bomb that just goes off within your business because of lots of places writing articles about you. So, so it sounds like there's so much potential to it. I mean, what has happened? Why, why do we have this misconception? How is it, 
how has it become such a, a weak thing? Almost like we, we throw it like a snippet and we call it a, a press release and, and then nothing happens. And we're like, see, it doesn't work. Right. I think that so many people started just focusing on the wrong goal. And when you're sitting there trying to get the biggest list of syndication sites to show up, you, you don't really care about the, you know, how reputable the site is, how important they are as a, a news outlet and, and who's actually viewing the content on their website. And so I, I think that because of that, so many people were taken down the wrong path. And of course they didn't get results because none of that really mattered. None of that got you in front of uh, a huge following or audience of people. Uh, you know, So you getting in front of the New York Times with an article written about you is completely different than appearing on some WBL something website. And it's not even the main website, it's just a feed location right. where a release gets streamed. And I, I think that that has really done a huge disservice to the industry and has gotten so many people to focus their content towards that goal. And what they really should be doing is writing newsworthy releases that is designed to get media attention. And it's not the everyday press release that everyone's thinking of that generally gets media attention. You have to be creative. You have to sort of do an audit of your business and determine what is it that you're doing that's different than everybody else. And how can you leverage that knowing that a journalist is a gatekeeper and your job is to give them something that's so irresistible. They want to share it with their audience. Yeah. Journalist as a gatekeeper. Interesting. And, and arguably a needed one. So it sounds like we got wrapped up in, in our vanity metrics, which is right. such a common trap in the marketing world, whether it's ads or social, or in this case releases in, and you're right, you know, getting picked up uh, your example, you know, a times article or some random website, or even say 30 random websites right. or one times or a hundred, like forest from the trees at night. Maybe that sounded good at a board meeting. Oh, we got picked up on a hundred, a hundred blogs, you know, but yeah, to no result or that one well-timed, well-placed article and you fought hard and you got past the gatekeeper or you assisted the gatekeeper in writing a really good story about you um, can pay off so much more. Absolutely. Man, um, tell me about this. How, how do I do that, right? Do I need to hire a PR firm? Do I write it myself? Like what goes into the proper press release. I only remember that college class from like sure. 15 so, years ago. You know, I always advise people to write your own press release if you can. Um, okay. You know, we, we offer writing services, but you know, they're not high elevated writing. They're very simplistic. Uh, they're written in the third person and anybody can write a good press release. Uh, the real important thing is knowing what you're writing about. And that's where I think you should spend a little bit more time uh, really fine-tuning your, your your message and how to make yourself as irresistible to the media. And I have methods that work for anybody. I have, you know, I the big one that I do is um, using surveys or studies um, in your industry. I've never had that fail. Uh, generally, it results in eight to 14 articles written about you, individual unique articles. And uh, that's really, really good. And basically it's as simple as, you know, signing up with SurveyMonkey, creating a survey, um, you know, asking, you know, anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20 questions. And I always say towards the end, 
uh, if you're working on multi-page survey, which I always recommend so that if someone gives up two thirds of the way in, you've still gotten all of their responses for the, the first part. Uh, yeah. At the end, ask a couple oddball questions, you know, leave uh, a field for them to write a couple sentences. And you might be surprised how uh, viral some of those have uh, can go. I had a, a local auto repair shop in Pennsylvania that did a survey and uh, the question that I recommended they ask is what's the strangest thing a customer left in their car while being repaired? And uh, they sent it out to independent auto repair shops. And that was the, the question that really went viral. And so the press release uh, was focused on that. And I think altogether there was like 60 uh, responses that we curated. Um, none of them were statistically relevant because everyone was a unique story. But there were stories like a, a python uh, was left in the car. Oh, uh, God. Grandma was left in an urn, and they had to retrieve her after hours for memorial service. Just lots of little interesting anecdotes that the media found fascinating. And so it worked really well. And in their case, they're like, we're not experts. You know, we, we, we can't do a survey. And I said, all you have, all you are is the author of the survey. You don't have to be like the, the best auto repair shop in the world or the most renowned. You just are authoring the study. And so uh, we sent the link out. They, they uh, were members of an independent um, auto repair trade association. And I said, they would probably love it to send this to their members. If you told them that you're doing a press release that's going over the wire and you will mention them in it. And oh. uh, that worked really well for them. It's a win-win. The small and independent trade associations will often do these types of partnerships because they see it as a win-win. Sometimes they might ask for you to co-brand the survey and that's completely fine. You know, it's going to give you more credibility being aligned with them, but, you know, just make sure that you're in, in the driving seat, you know, with the messaging and the press release that you're sending out. And, uh, you know, th this is something that takes, yeah, a little bit of time, but it's not a huge commitment. Uh, you're just analyzing the results of the survey, you know, putting together what's the most interesting responses that you got uh, and what the surprising ones are and providing a couple of interesting quotes as to why the survey uh, results probably skewed that way. Uh, that analysis that you do is really important because uh, if they're writing an article about this uh, survey or study, uh, if you have a powerful quote, that'll definitely get included. And that's a great way of anchoring you because they're going to say who you are and the organization or company that you're with. And so uh, I always tell people that uh, who've tried PR and said it doesn't work. I said, have you tried a survey or study? Because I've never had it not work. Never. It's always worked. It, and I, I think that that's one of the, um, you know, low hanging fruit that's available to uh, any business or entity to take advantage of. Um, I have one client that does about 40 survey press releases a year. Uh, they wow. cover lots of little vertical industries. And what they do is they do a survey for each specific little niche that they serve. And they get traffic linking back to that section of their website that serves that community. And on average, they get between eight and 14 articles almost every single time. And, uh, you know, they're just replicating what works. And the, right now is a great time because, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic. People are uncertain where things stand. You know, everybody's saying the economy, the other shoe's about to drop, but we don't know. You know, so taking your industry's pulse and saying, how do you feel right now? Uh, what's your advertising dollars like or marketing dollars? Is it more? Is it less? Um, are you hiring or are you, you know, waiting? And if so, for what? 
And these are all things that right now would make that survey very timely and very uh, attractive to media who are uh, serving this audience because they're like, yeah, I would like to know the answers to these questions right now today. And the great thing is the same survey in six months could yield completely different results and still do equally as well, uh, yeah. you know, with another timed release. Man, what, what, something about those as you're, I, I can see, I can see it. it is it the relevancy? It's the fact that we want to know what everyone else is up to. How do yeah, we compare? I mean, it, it's common when you ever go to a conference. It's you're always sharing, you know, uh, back of the envelope notes with your uh, colleagues. You know, yeah. have, have you found it a little hard lately for X, Y, and Z? And they're like, Yeah, now that you mentioned it, it has. And so they're looking for some confirmation that what they're experiencing is 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 industry wide, <laughs> and it's not just you. And it's so uh, valuable to get that information in a survey or study. And and that that's why I think they work so incredibly incredibly well. Um, other ideas that you can do is research your industry for blind spots. Um, I had a local carpet company in New Jersey come to me and said, we have a one-year PR budget. And I turned them away. I said, I don't think I can help you. And then they came back and said, well, we've got the budget. We're either going to spend it with you or someone else. So uh, I worked with them. And we sent out five releases over five months that did nothing. Uh, I don't, there was no media pickup whatsoever. And so I went back and talked to them. And when I was asking who their biggest enemy was, expecting it to be just like, you know, X company across the street, they said, no, the entire local, you know, independent carpet company uh, has the same enemy. It's the big box home improvement stores. Uh, mm -hmm. They've got people who, have never installed carpet before, but because they're licensed as a, a home improvement person, they're qualified to install carpet for Home Depot and Lowe's. And they said, so we're often going into people's homes, having to restretch carpets and fix the mistakes. And sometimes it's the padding that's used because the carpet's generally a good mid-grade carpet, but the padding is often inferior to what you can get from a, a local independent shop. And so we built a press release around that and talked about the challenges of competing against the big box home improvement stores. And it was sort of a David and Goliath thing. Mm. It went viral. Uh, over 10 floor trade publications picked it up. And we didn't realize there were that many out there at the time. Right. <laughs> but uh, right one of them offered them a marketing column because they thought that this was really interesting. And uh, they, they said that they got more positive responses from that article than they had gotten in the entire past year out of all the articles they published. They said it really resonated with them. So sometimes what people aren't talking about in your trade publications or industry are opportunities. You know, uh, I talked about at conferences, people talk about certain subjects. If these are subjects that aren't being represented in your uh, trade uh, uh, newspapers and magazines and things like that, that's an opportunity for you to bring that conversation in front of them. And often that can do really well. Uh, that uh, carpet company ended up over the next six months getting a total of over 30 articles, uh, included their local newspaper, uh, a New Jersey magazine, as well as over 20 trade publications. And the smart thing that they did, and this was uh, an education to me, is they put them all together in this, well, they called it a brag book. And every time they went to go give someone a quote for a carpet install, they would thumb through it and say, look, we've been picked up by Floor Trade Weekly. We've been picked up from this publication. Here we are in the local newspaper. Here we are in New Jersey Magazine. And uh, they started to close about, I think around 14% more sales. And they said, that doesn't seem like much, 
but it was something we could actually count and measure. We were winning more uh, of, of these uh, uh, quotes that we were giving to the point that we actually raised our rate first 5% and then 10% just so we could keep the, the same uh, amount of uh, sales that we had going forward. And, you know, that, that shows that when you get mentioned in these places, there's an implied endorsement that happens. And so when someone's looking at two companies, they're like, this company might be a little bit more than the other one, but this one's been picked up by national magazines, the local newspaper. This is a, an outfit that obviously knows what they're doing and is serious about their reputation. They feel much more comfortable working with them. Hmm. That social proof that comes from all of that media attention. I love the idea of putting that book together. That makes total sense. So that you don't you you get that one hit wonder of the article happened. Then, oh, this happened ten years. No, no, you have a, a stack of them to show that this happened, and then that's perpetual. You get credit for that as long as you keep using that doc, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. It, it's this is this is a really creative side of marketing I, for sure. Um, you mentioned, you know, everyone should write their own press release. It sounds like you got to find an angle, though. You got to right. find an angle that appeals to the to the masses. You know, they, if you were a journalist, would this be something your editor would be happy to see? Would you get all the clicks? You know, and so it's almost like getting in their mind. Um, and it sounds like you've got some go tos here. So it's not like you have to invent from scratch. You know, this the survey alone or a David and Goliath story and then putting it all together in a book, you've got something and you just right. got it. What's the next step, right? You, you've got this angle. How do you get it out to the masses? I see this on LinkedIn. Hey, so-and-so was mentioned in the news. And I'm always like, how do I get on there? <laughs> like, right. What, so what do you do? It's, it's uh, you use a service like e-releases. Okay. Um, the good thing about us is that we go out nationally over PR Newswire uh, and they charge over a thousand dollars to move a 500 word press release. And you're going to pay considerably cheaper going directly through us. Um, the, the thing is we service mostly small businesses, entrepreneurs, startups, and things like that. And these are the type of clients that they don't reach out to. And they really don't see a need to work with them until they're doing 20, 30 releases and spending 20 to 30,000 a year. So uh, that's the, the partnership that we have. I'm sort of the small business arm of them servicing these nice. businesses and making sure that, you know, we're providing the biggest bang for the buck. And yeah. You know, when you're sending stuff out there, it is important that you go over a, a legitimate wire. There's only three of them in the U.S., uh, uh, Business Wire, PR Newswire being the oldest and largest, and then uh, there's Globe Newswire. There's a lot of other companies with Newswire in their name but they're not bona fide newswires. They're not going out on the electronic feeds to all the newsrooms. They haven't invested the millions of dollars of architecture that these others have. They just have a domain name that has newswire in the name. So oh, that's, that's another learning thing that we have to do time to time where people come to us and ask about, you know, how about X wire and things like that? And I'm like, well, they're, they're not a true newswire. And so you want to make sure that your messaging is available there because, uh, on the newswire, you have the ability to reach a large audience as well as a very focused audience. It's going to be coded for your industry. It's going to be coded for what you're specifically talking about, but it does have the ability to really resonate and go large. Um, we did a release early in the pandemic um, that 
got over 150 articles written about it, it included Wall Street yes. Journal, Washington Post, New York Jeez. Times, uh, all of the food magazines, because it was uh, basically a startup designed to help businesses, restaurants in particular, that were closed during the early part mm. of the pandemic. And it was a way for you to nominate your favorite local restaurant. And if they oh, accepted cool. it, uh, they reach out to them. And if they accepted it, you would give a donation that would be secured through a, uh, they called it a dining bond, but it was like a gift certificate type thing. You know, there's no guarantee that they're going to survive, but it empowered a lot of people to help, you know, restaurants that were closed down. It was a time where there was a lot of negative news about, you know, a, a two week shutdown leading into months and stuff like that. So it was a positive thing that really resonated with the media. And I think that's why it did so well, generated millions of dollars in revenue just one press release for this wow. one thing. And so th that demonstrates the absurd side of leverage that PR has. Uh, I don't think you're going to see many examples of that. And I've been doing this for 23 years, and that's probably the only the second uh, most uh, successful client that we've had with a single press release. And uh, so, wow. you know, more realistic, we're talking about a few articles is your is what someone's goal should be. And you really should do a series of press releases, a, a, a proper PR campaign in order to see what works. And a lot of people will try a single press release and just uh, take press releases off their marketing to-do list because it didn't work. And that's a shame because a proper PR campaign is like usually four to eight uh, press releases on different strategies, hooks, angles. And only then after you've done that, can you determine whether uh, press releases are going to work for you or not. And if you've tried six to eight meaningful strategies and hooks and it didn't work, then you're probably just, you know, not it's it's probably won't work for you going forward. But what a lot of people will find is that one or two of those releases do really well. And just like the client who does, uh, you know, 40 releases a, a year, all on surveys and studies, you can often replicate your pickup and your experience by tweaking stuff and changing it going forward. So if mm. you figure out what it is that people in your industry are uh, choosing to eat, you can provide that food for them going forward. I like that. Eat a small, subtle change, a little more paprika and then send it back out. Um, the idea of a proper PR campaign, not it's not just flinging one out there and calling it quits four to eight different strategies. I've heard two really good ones, the survey study, uh, the David and Goliath, do you have two more? Because I think at that point we'd have four and then the, no one has an excuse. You have sure. all four, go figure them out for yourself. So in two other favorites that come to mind. Sure. Being the friendly contrarian uh, or the friendly jerk. Uh, basically uh, what a lot of people do is when there's a hot topic in your industry, they try to join the course and agree with everybody else. And your opinion is not going to stand out in your industry if you're just saying what everyone else is saying. However, if you're willing to go against the, the, the rest of the industry and say, hey, I don't think that we should be embracing this or doing this, uh, you, you, you stand a very strong chance of getting pickup. Let's use the example of everyone's like pro-environmental these days, and everybody seems to be pro-electric cars. And if you were the person who said, hey, maybe not so fast, the batteries uh, that uh, make up these cars will end, and we haven't solved what we're going to do with them with landfills. And also the mining of the minerals that make up these batteries is really environmentally as well as 
uh, labor intensive and, you know, is, is bad. And so maybe before we embrace that, we look at new technologies going forward that might address these. And so you're the rational person who's saying right. against what everybody else is saying. So every time an article is published that's pro-electric car, a journalist should be including the other viewpoint, the other side. And if you're the only person providing that, you stand the chance of getting incorporated in a lot of articles to discuss this conversation. Right. And, and that can be dangerous, you know, um, but what you're saying, I, I get the friendly jerk, right? It's not, you're not the jerk just saying, no, this is dumb. Don't get electric cars, you know, guzzle the gas. No, you're saying that, yes, I do agree the environment is good, but this is not the right approach. You're saying, right. Let's do the battery or like, watch out for the, the way you want to be or- rational and make sure that any position you have will not alienate you with your existing customer base. Yeah. I had clever. one client like come back to shift, me, right? Yeah. yeah. I had one client come back to me and said, wow, I did really well with that announcement, but every, all my customers are calling me up and saying they hate me. And oh, I was no. just like, I was like, yeah, you have to be comfortable with your position because if you're going against the grain, sometimes you're going to alienate some people. So you want to make sure you're doing it in a way that makes you seem rational and in a way that, you know, will not alienate you from your customer base. Cause that is a risk that you, uh, that you run, but it is one of those things that, uh, you putting yourself out there as the contrarian, you stand a really strong likelihood of getting media pickup, um, I, I had someone in the telecom industry who, after a while, just posted on his website every time uh, there was talk of a merger going on in the telecom industry, and there had been huge consolidation over the last 20 years, he would just publish a quote about it and saying why it was bad for the uh, telecom industry and why it was bad for consumers. And journalists would, would uh, sit there, and then once the uh, press release goes live that the merger is going to happen. They would just use his ready-made quotes and, and get them because they loved his quotes. They, they were the, they were all the quotes that are in the press releases are from the two companies merging. And they're like, this is great. This is going to help consumers. This is wonderful. And here was a guy saying, let me peel back the layers and show you why this is bad and why this isn't the, the great deal that you're being sold. So you just, uh, it is a, a great opportunity for, for someone. And if you're the right person, that could work really well. Uh, another uh, idea is newsjacking. Um, it's sort mm-hmm. of going along the lines of what is uh, happening that's a trending topic in your industry. And I always say, here is the opportunity for you to elevate the conversation. Uh, I, years ago, when there was a Target credit card breach, I think I did 80 press releases from 80 different companies that were in the security business, sending out a press release about uh, this breach and why they had the solution for it. And uh, one client who I knew, their release didn't do well. And I said, well, you're just joining the the conversation and Mm -hmm. there's thousands of you just out there saying the same thing. What could you say that's different? What could you do in a layered way that would really elevate the conversation and make it like, oh, no one else is saying this. And so what we did was uh, his client base is largely small mom and pop shops. It doesn't work with franchises, doesn't work with large corporations. And so we talked about uh, a press release that said, hey, if you have a credit card terminal in front in your small business on the counter, could you be at risk of the same thing that just shut down? 
down X million people with the target credit card breach. And here's an audit of what you should do. So he provided information. He really spoke to his audience of small businesses and his press release did extremely well. I think um, it did about five articles and opened a lot of conversations with potential customers who were wanting more information about how they could secure uh, uh, their credit card terminal and make sure that they're not at risk of the same thing happening. Yeah, no, the idea of the newsjacking, and I think I've heard like David Meerman Scott talk a lot about this. Um, but man, is that also dangerous? Because I mean, I'm thinking Ukraine right now, right? right. Uh, you, you, and I think you said this keyword elevate, and that I circled that because elevating somehow, I don't know, help me explain this, but like you could totally walk yourself into being just like a complete jerk right. around Ukraine by saying like, yeah, Russia's invading the Ukraine. Um, so make sure you buy life insurance, you know, like, like right. that would just be really dark. Um, and people would see that and think, well, you know, what a jerk. But, but there's a way to elevate the conversation that credit card, it was like, look, it happened to them. It can happen to you. I want you to stay safe. That seems like it's an elevation. Any tips or guidance around, around this kind of thing? Yeah. I say always, uh, if you have a spouse at home or a work coworker who has a, a reasonable spouse at home, always run stuff by them and make <laughs> sure that. that you don't run the risk of alienating anybody, uh, whether it's being a contrarian or uh, news jacking something. You, you want to be tasteful. Um, you want to be, you know, you, you want to come across as, as a rational a good person in in the neighborhood of, of other businesses and uh, the world and and that kind of news. So uh, you know, someone who was in the life insurance industry, you know, pointing out the the war in the Ukraine. I don't see a way that you can come across with that messaging where it's going to work. Um, but you know, there are. Uh, businesses that rely on, uh, for example, programmers and developers in the Ukraine. They are a huge engine of labor that is used. And there's probably some topics of how to navigate that, um, you know, taking what people have learned in other countries, like the Philippines have dealt with several natural disasters in the past, and people have been alienated from their workforce and of influence. So there's, there's rules and, and tips out there on how to handle that. So you could put something together along those lines. And I think that that would be pretty comfortable, uh, you know, talking about the real challenges that, you know, a, a conflict in the Ukraine could potentially pose to a, a say, a U.S.-based business that has its development team in the Ukraine. Yeah. And man, what the point totally makes sense. Don't innovate in isolation. Pounce the ideas off of people that it will be welcome you know that that are free and and always happy to give you criticism let those people in on it and if they if they get really ticked at you then maybe you you don't send that one out right sure. like that makes a lot of sense um yeah okay that's four um I, I don't know if you have any other ones you want to throw out there but we've got four so it sounds like we, we've got at least enough to start another one is PR numbers campaign. and uh well, which one data numbers and data Anytime you can put a top 10 list together or a bullet list of things. Um, I had a client that uh, all they did was 
top 10 bed and breakfast in New England uh, during uh, leaf changing season, top 10 uh, bed and breakfast for, uh, you know, in, in Salem uh, uh, during Halloween, uh, top 10, you know, all, all different types of top 10 lists you can put together. Um, you know, those do extremely well. Uh, surprisingly, they do really well with large newspapers. Uh, mm -hmm. One of our best uh, users of this these press releases was USA Today. They love to have little boxes with top 10 lists and things like that sure. uh, in their uh, newspapers. And uh, bedandbreakfast.com, which was a client of mine, uh, did extremely well with that. And they often ended up there as well as other newspapers. Wow. All right. So pick and choose. And, and you know, kind of a reminder back to if you need a little more help writing that PR, that press release, your book, Beginner's Guide to Writing Powerful Press Releases. Is that, is that on Amazon? It is. It's on Amazon. It's also available on my website for free as a PDF download. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, that's the, very nice of you. I was about, <laughs> about to send everyone to go buy your book, but if you've got it, what's the, uh, it's ereleases.com? Ereleases.com. And you should see it there on the lower part of the homepage. Um, I also have um, uh, on the homepage, my uh, strategy masterclass. Uh, it goes through these eight ideas for building strategic press releases, ideas for winning press releases. We went through a few of them today. Um, yeah. It's a masterclass. It's less than an hour and it's completely free as well. Uh, and they can find that at ereleases.com forward slash plan, P-L-A-N. Okay. And again, it's completely free and it, it's, it's an hour of your time, but I guarantee you'll probably come away with 10 ideas of press releases you could do for your company. And these are ideas that would be strategic and stand a really strong uh, chance of getting media pickup. I love this. And I'm looking at the site right now and um, yeah, I'm not trying to make this an ad for it because I'm generally actually thinking I'm probably going to do this after the show. Um, but even the buzz builder, I mean, that's super affordable. Um, so this is not, this is not like a, the, the expensive kind of thing that, in the, some of the direct ones were or whatever people have in their mind this is not bad at all right, and, right. but interesting though 400 words so we do have to be a little succinct with our writing right the, the newswires charge based on words and wow. usually 400 words or less is the base price and then they charge for additional blocks of 100 words and i expected that to go away over the years because it's, it's a holdover the old teletype system where each word was labor you know sending transmitting something but it's not anymore but the newswire says they've thought about it and not just the cash revenue that extra words creates it also requires that the customer be more succinct and concise yeah. and yeah. that does a huge service to the journalist and so taking someone who would have sent an 800 word press release and they edited it down to 500 words makes the job of the journalist reviewing these things uh, you know, so much more uh, favorable for them and makes it more likely that they'll appreciate the content that's moving through the newswire. You know, I Googled uh, 400 words to get a sense for what that looks like. And you can Google image shirts and I, I'm seeing it. It, it. It's reasonable, you know, one gigantic paragraph or, you know, three decent sized ones. And yeah, it, I mean, it sounds like the hard, hard work, right, Mark Twain? You know, I, if I had more time, I would have written less, you know? Sure. Is, is kind of getting it concise, but there's something to that. I don't know if you had this experience, but when I was writing my book, I, I think it was contract for like 35,000 words, but I gave them 45 and they're like, well, we could do that, but you end up paying the difference, 25 cents a word, or you could just shorten it to 
35,000. And I had to go through that process of just, you know, is this paragraph worth, worth $300? No, delete. And so, but that forced me to make it better. And so I could see this process being good for people, write your press release, but then you got, did you say something twice the same way? Can you remove some of that filler word, get to the point? Yeah. Yeah. You want to support one angle uh, one in angle. the thing. You don't, you don't want to mix it up and try to bring in issue number two and, you know, everything. Cause it just, it, you lose the momentum of being singularly focused on what you're announcing. That makes sense. So now when you tell me that I need to do four different strategies, it's because look, you only got room for one sure. in one. So pick that battle, go for it, go hard. And then you got three other ones and, and put those ideas in those. Don't try to combine it. Cause I'm sure that looks nasty and nobody knows what to pick. And it's not a complete thought, right? You've got all these little fragments floating around that just wouldn't be picked up. Right. Absolutely. What about LinkedIn? I, so we, we does it just magically get on there if, if they use your service? Like if you, you No, it, it doesn't automatically get on LinkedIn. Um, there is a component when you do a press release that you should take the release and share it socially. That would include sharing it on LinkedIn. Your if you have a company, LinkedIn. Um, some people it's just the personal LinkedIn. The same thing with your social media. Also, don't forget to share it with your customers and your leads. Um, I've had a lot of people say, I converted a lot of my leads that had just been out there sitting on the fence and they, all of a sudden I shared whether it was the press release or an article that was generated as a result of the press release. I shared both of those uh, links and all of a sudden I got a lot of new customers and it was people who probably were just sitting there saying, I don't know, I like what they have, but I'm just not sure. And now all of a sudden they see an article in your industry trade publication that, and they're just like, okay, so they're legit. They, you know, they've, mm -hmm. they've, they've made it. I, I feel more comfortable. I can go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, bite the bullet and, and decide to work with them. And so it's, you know, there is a bit of it that you have to do on your own. And I think that, uh, you know, sharing that uh, when you do get media successes, making screenshots of it, preserving it so that you can put it on your website and your marketing materials, uh, expose it to your customers as well as your leads. All of that really helps uh, at the end of the day. And uh, it, it shows that that magnifying ability of PR. Gotcha. Okay. All the different angles. So make sure you don't just, you know, one channel, like multiple channels, but it does it, how I've seen on LinkedIn it say like, you know, your friend is in the news, your friend, you know, Mickey Kennedy is in the news and it's like, is that just human curation or? I think it largely is. Okay. There, there are some major news outlets that I think that they do uh, syndicate content to, but I think the actual act of them tagging it like that is that I think that uh, someone posted to their company website, a news article. And, uh, and then that's how it got someone related to you, the person who posted it uh, at being a friend of yours. Interesting. Yeah. Cause it, how they would get that tag to the person it, is that seems strange and bizarre. So, okay. So across all the elements, this makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, my next question for you really is who are you? Who, who, who is Mickey? You got these awesome glasses, you know, everything about PR. Um, can you take me back in time? Like little Mickey days, what was it like growing up? You, did you know you're going to be the czar of PR um, or, or what? I did not. I, uh, yeah. I, I, I always loved to read and write. 
And I went to graduate school, getting an MFA in creative writing with an oh, emphasis wow. in poetry. And nice. so I just assumed that when I graduated, I would just wait tables and write poetry in the evenings. And uh, I did a summer of waiting tables and realized that my back and legs just couldn't handle being on concrete for 12 hours a day. Yeah, and awful. I was so emotionally, psychologically spent after waiting tables all day. I, last thing I want to do when I went home was read or write. So I'm like, I got to find a safe office job. So <laughs> I, I, I applied and got picked up at a telecom research company as employee number three. It was a, it was a, a, a fairly old startup, but uh, it was like four or five years uh, in at that point. Wow. And uh, we rapidly grew. And one of the things that they had me do was, hey, we need you to send out press releases. You're the writing guy. So you write these releases and get them out for us. And we would fax them. Uh, this was the day of, of faxing. And uh, that took a huge amount of time. And because we were publishing telecom numbers and statistics, a lot of journalists started to call or email and say, could you just email me the Word document? Wow. Uh, you know, I, it's better to copy and paste all these numbers rather than, you know, transcribe them from a fax. And so I mentioned to my boss that I thought email would be the natural progression of press releases. And that's what gave me the idea for e-releases. I spent about a year contacting journalists in the evening and asking if I could send them relevant press releases on their industry. And they all said, yes, they thought it was novel. This was like 24, 25 years ago. So they were like, sure. And so I launched a little over 23 years ago with about 10,000 journalists in my database. And that's kind of what I kept doing until the Newswire approached me and said, hey, you should also send your releases through us. And I just said, I'm charging $250. Uh, I know you charge over a thousand to move a, a you know, five, 600 word press release nationally. Uh, I just don't think it's going to work. And so they looked at my customer base and they realized that they weren't serving them. So we started to create, craft it in a way that was a win-win. Uh, all of our releases by default are scheduled for next business day. Um, they have an editorial team overnight that doesn't do much, but they have to be there in case a, a Fortune 500 client has an emergency recall or some news in, in Asia or something, some reason that they have to get the media out. So by scheduling it for the next day, they could set up all these releases overnight and it wouldn't cost them any additional labor. And so that's how we sort of crafted this to be a win-win between us and them, because it is a huge value add that you're getting that newswire component as well as the email distribution. Wow. Wow. Not your first rodeo. And it's interesting that you started out with just a horde of journalists and then, you know, the smartly the wire approached you and was like, you got something cooking here. Like we want to be a part of it. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Is, have, do you have time now? Did it work switching to the office job? Do you have the time for poetry and for creative I writing? I do. I've been writing a lot over the past five or six years on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, during the pandemic, it was just something that I could focus on. So I probably averaged a couple hundred poems a year uh, really? for the last uh, three years. What kind? Do you like all kinds of they're mostly narrative. I used to write more experimental stuff, but nobody could appreciate it or understand it very much uh, other than, uh, you know, like someone who has a degree in linguistics or something. What, uh, so. What's the difference? Could you give me an example? Like what, what would be an experimental? Oh, uh, let's see. I have, yeah, if you got, if you got some examples, that'd be really cool. So this is something that's a little more experimental. Uh, it's from my soothsayer's refusal typewriter dance of a sparrow, the hollowed out space of air between snowflakes, 
estuary where two rivers end. The man in the boat doesn't dream of fish, but of a woman who lays her clothes out in the dark of pre-morning. Uh, awakened by thunder, house under fire, a mistranslation of cloud, hoses turned open, signs of radiance burn at the mouth. And that's, there's a little bit of narrative there, cool, but there's man. not a lot of narrative. Um, and so I generally have been trying to write more narrative stuff that I can send to my friends and family and they would understand it or at least appreciate it, where a lot of my stuff before confused people more than they appreciated. Well, is, now, would that be similar to like the slam poetry readings where you just hear people go from one thing to another? Or is that almost a blend of the two? It's probably a blend of the two. There yeah. is a lot of narrative in slams. And I think one of the reasons that slams often work successful is because someone's sharing their truth. And it really is high energy. And it's usually almost it feels like an unpeeling of events is happening mm. and you're experiencing it live. And so I think that's one of the reasons it does really well. Have you done any of those? Have you done the live ones? I have done some readings in the past, but I'm not a slam person. My, I, I don't generally write sort of slam poems and stuff like that. What's but, the difference? Like versus. Uh, I think that there's, when you write a slam poem, it's, it's often the type of thing that I think excites someone and mm -hmm. motivates them and gives them an energy. And it's very rhythmic in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Almost like a rap. It's almost it, like a rap. It's very yeah. close to, you know, in, in that vein. And that's not my strength or where I come from. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess they, they're writing, they're writing slam out ahead of time, right? They're not just coming up. Correct. They usually, okay. uh, most of them have memorized it. Um, yeah. It's, it's more performance pieces mm -hmm. and they're, they're easier to memorize, I think, because they have that rhythm and that flow and we get seduced in it in a way that's very close to song. And I think that that's uh, where slam really succeeds and is, is a really great, uh, you know, aspect of poetry. And, and your, the style that you like the most is probably narrative and experimental or toss up, however you feel. Um, I probably have, I feel more comfortable moving away from the experimental stuff. Like even the little bit that I read had bits of narrative in it. And I felt like I used to just write stuff that had no narrative in it. It was just the typewriter dance of a sparrow hollowed out space of air between snowflakes. And it was just images and it would just be mm -hmm. uh, I see. You know, images and language and there was nothing happening. And uh, you know, a lot of that is an exercise in uh, imagery that's really great, but at the cost of understandability. What am I supposed right. to feel when you're reading this? Whereas the guy in the boat who misses the woman, not the fish, and then the woman has laid her clothes out, is, would you say that's all strung together? So that's more narrative? That's narrative. Yeah, that's a definitely a narrative, but it sort of opens with that experimental part. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, it opened with that. And then as soon as it went to the narrative i almost like i could follow it then right yeah it's very hard to under, under, understand and follow the experimental stuff that i used to write so i i definitely uh have grown to appreciate narrative and i feel like i've gotten pretty pretty good at it um sharing just things that are meaningful to me you know i think though um having heard that now it's almost like you know when you see a movie and it's surprise a musical and you weren't ready for it you're like what the hell is this Right. But if you went into it or at some point in your mind, you click and you're like, okay, like the greatest showman. I didn't know that was going to be a musical. 
like, why are they singing at the beginning? This is really awkward. And I'm like looking around. Is that... But then eventually, oh, it's a musical. Just go with it. And then sure. once you sort of accept that world, then, you'll, then it makes sense that everyone's singing at the bar. And but So I, I think with the experimental, now that I know that they're not supposed to be strung together, I won't search for that. And I'll just sort of accept the images, you know? Right. But maybe that's part of it. It's just a, you, you, you have like, I can't, I can't follow. Then I'll say, Oh, I can. And then I can again, you know, so you could kind of do something with that. That's interesting. Sure. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, do you have any narrative? Examples? I do. I sure? have one I'll that I that. actually just wrote last night, but I, I really liked yeah? it. It was uh, a memory of, of my uh, kids. My daughter's now 19. Uh, but this was something from many years ago. Uh, it's called ephemera. I finally cleared the art projects for my daughter's first three years in school. First, I removed from the fridge the turkey she drew, tracing her hand on construction paper. I photographed it as pictures last forever, then gently placed brittle paper in a cardboard box. There was a horse on a farm she drew in brown magic marker, then the girl leaning out of the castle tower with locks so long they demanded a prince to climb them. There is the crayon drawing of our house where mommy, daddy, her, and her brother hold hands in the yard. In truth, there are no actual pictures of this, no string of family in front of our home, yet it felt real and specific down to the hint of three birds in the sky. There is the pig with accordion limbs, arms and legs of folded pink paper. My son, three years younger, meant his art never made it to a wall. We had perfected the talent of curation by then, ready to snap a picture and then quickly retire the piece to the trash. I once asked him if he felt cheated being the second born, and he answered yes, but only on account of the being born part. His humor, a ship taking on water, reminds me of the rabbit bank he made out of an old oatmeal container, a big cotton ball in the rear. Rather than fill it with pennies, we took him to a burger joint for cheeseburgers and milkshakes. We instilled in him that saving is for suckers. Spend the dollars while you can. Let it all ride for vanilla ice cream and milk, a spritz of whipped cream. The receipt on the counter, something to shove in my pocket to later throw away. Hell yeah. So when is that going to be a book? <laughs> we'll see. It might take a little while. I have my first book accepted for publication. I just don't know when it's going to be published. So much has been moved around with the pandemic and stuff like that. But uh, wow, first book I, of poetry. Yeah. And I, I've written three so far. So Wait, you've getting, written three poetry books? I have. Because oh, we uh, talked earlier, you've written two PR books, but you've written three poetry books. Well, Are they on as Amazon? I told you, I've written 200 poems a year for the last three years. So I have a lot of poetry. And so I've been putting it together in books and uh, I wanted to get the first book accepted for publication before I started shopping the second and third. So right. uh, I'll have to start moving on with that. Uh, Poetry is a little different than a lot of other genres where generally a small press takes a chance on one book, but they generally don't publish all your books later on because they want to give opportunities to other people. So uh, I feel a little bit like starting uh, again, from, you know, the, the beginning, trying to get the second book published, but it'll help a little bit having that first one um, once it gets to print. Got it. Got it. So this will be the first uh, poetry book in print. Right. But you've got at least three. Three that I've completed. Prepared. Wow. Wow. Uh, is this going to be feel more exciting than the PR book when it comes out? Definitely. I definitely feel more 
uh, of a kinship to my creative writing than I do with the nonfiction writing and stuff like that. But that being said, I really think the PR strategy manifesto, which sort of goes over those eight strategies, is is probably my most strongest, uh, you know, material for my customer base. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I used to send customers who uh, became customers to e-releases, my beginner's guide to writing releases. And once I did that, uh, PR strategy manifesto. I'm like, that's the book I should be sending my customers because yeah. they already know how to write a release. It's really that strategy behind it that's so important and really makes the huge uh, difference between a successful release and one that doesn't. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, I love that the 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 accordion paper legs though yeah. can totally know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and and funny about the second kid who maybe we're not saving your stuff as much anymore. Man, get this published. Come on, publishers, get that poetry book out there so I can get the second and third one. Um, question for you, kind of tying all this back together. Uh, it's a bit of a hypothetical, but since we've been in the creative writing land for a little bit, we're probably good here. Um, I may or may not have a time machine in New Hampshire where I live. It's actually in my backyard covered in a tarp you know, a couple acorns on top of it. So you come to New Hampshire, you come visit, we get some beers, some lobster, and then you get a chance to use the time machine. Now it's a particular kind of time machine. It goes back in time and you get to meet yourself after you're getting out of college, you're getting out of the undergrad, right? You get to meet that version of you and you can talk to yourself. You're able to talk to yourself. You can tell yourself anything. You don't have to worry about your time continuum because um, safeguards are in place. So you can tell yourself anything you want. What would you give yourself advice, recommendations? What things would you say to yourself? I would say buy Apple and Google and never sell. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've invested time and time again and the stock goes down and I sell. And it's like, oh, if I just held it, you know. Uh, but I, I, I wished I knew that Apple and Google were going to grow as big as they have over my lifetime. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I say that half facetiously because what would you tell yourself going back in time? I, I think that all the experiences that I've had, good and bad, I've learned from, and they've developed me into who I am today. And, you know, I do have two healthy kids and, uh, you know, a life that, that is, is, is nice and comfortable and a successful business. So I don't think that I would steer myself in any other respect other than maybe providing some sound financial buys that I should consider uh, going forward. Excellent. Excellent. Don't forget to uh, find me back then as well and give me the stock tips. I don't think you can, I don't think time travel is considered insider trading. No, so, probably not. You know, I guess that's something we'll have to deal with in a future decade, you know, um, what to do with that. Okay. Well, that's, that's fantastic. All right. Now, where can people, we've mentioned this a couple of times, where can they connect with you, uh, you yourself, and then also your company, if they want to get more information, throw out sure. URLs, sites, all that. So ereleases.com is the website. If you're interested in PR press releases, feel free to chat with one of the editors there or call us. We'd have no salespeople. There's no sales quotas or commissions. Uh, my client, uh, Employees are empowered to tell you if they feel that PR is not a fit for you. We do have a few industries that we just aren't 
able to help you very well because of restrictions at the newswire one being like alternative health supplements and things like that uh we we can't work with those types of things but uh you know i would recommend having a conversation with them checking out that um master class that i have that's based on those on those eight winning strategies that's at ereleases.com plan p-l-a-n and on my website i have all my social media uh, it is my direct linkedin so if you want to connect with me personally that's a great way to uh connect and i do generally respond to people uh, at least weekly on linkedin so that's a, a great way to reach me personally awesome love this uh well mickey thank you so much for coming on here and just schooling me in the way of the press release i'm excited i'm i'm gonna gather up my four and um and visit the site and and dance have a little dance see what happens that's good i i i i often tell people that it's one of these things that people don't think about because there's so many other marketing things that are jostling for your attention and time uh but the the one time that e-releases grows is during a recession or economic hardship uh we had the best revenue during the pandemic uh, we grew sizably during the 2008 and 2007 real estate crash. And during the dot-com crash in the early 2000s, uh, we, we grew through that. And so what I found is when people have to stop spending their marketing dollars or spend them more intelligently, they make the time for PR and it works. And so I would say, you know, what's stopping you from, you know, looking at PR and giving it a full commitment of a PR campaign of, you know, whether it's even four to six releases or six to eight releases, you know, try different strategic ideas. And I think you'll be surprised how successful you can be if you're doing strategic releases and avoiding the releases that just don't work, like the personnel change at your company. Yeah. Or the new website. Right. <laughs> we got a brand new website. Don't or care. Or responsive design. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. 20 decades later, we finally are mobile friendly, you know, right. <laughs> should be embarrassed about that. Don't put that on a press release. No. Um, man, this has been great. And, and then for those listening, if you've learned something and I know you have, because I have freaking front and back a full page, two pages of notes over here. Um, man, so good. I, the strategies are here. Um, I can't wait to try these out. I'm literally going to have a meeting uh, with my team right after this. So exciting. Thank you so much again, Mickey. You are awesome. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. This has been another really cool, exciting e-released version of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.